I hope that that is your heart's desire to be drawn close to the Lord and to be near him. We'll be in the fourth chapter of Colossians. We are nearing the end of this epistle of the Apostle Paul, and we have enjoyed working through this book, verse by verse, being challenged by it. As we begin, I'm going to show you a series of pictures that will be a form of the topic that Paul addresses in Colossians 4, 2 through 6. So there's about five pictures, and I'll ask uh, Lydia just to put each one up for about five or six seconds and just go through. And these will demonstrate just a form of the topic that Paul is going to address. So it'll start with just people talking here. And then there'll be some others. Lydia, just go ahead over the next several seconds. And as you're looking at these, I want you to be thinking about what is the connection between each of them. Each of these pictures illustrates a form of communication. People talking, sign language, texting, writing a letter, prayer. All of these are forms of communication. Consider what Paul exhorted the believers recorded in Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us that God would open Unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Would you join me in praying that God would speak to us on this important theme tonight? Father, as we come to this important time of looking into the Word of God for help and for challenge, I ask that you would do a work in our hearts in connection to this important theme of communication. I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would work mightily to help us to make connection between our life Christ and are living as believers in him. And Lord, I pray that it would make a difference. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Since transitioning from the doctrinal section of Colossians into the more practical section, we have focused on Paul's comments found early in chapter 3, to seek 
those things which are above. To set your affection on things above. This exhortation connects my life, which is Christ, with my living. I have a new identity in Jesus when I trust him as my Savior. And from that point forward, as I am being sanctified, as I'm being made new and transformed by God, it is important that I connect Jesus, who is my life, with my living. What I do, what I say, how I behave myself. We've been challenged to remove the evidences of the old life. To put on the qualities of the new life and experience relationships that are revolutionized through making Christ the center of those relationships. We approach the end of the epistle and Paul challenged the Colossians with some final connections focused on this theme of communication. Everyone communicates. The American Heritage Dictionary defines communication as the exchange of thoughts, messages, or information as by speech, signals, writing, or behavior. And so realistically, communication occurs in everything a person says and everything a person does. Now make the connection. As I speak to you, I communicate with spoken word. But is that the extent of it? No. As I speak to you, communicating with spoken word, communication is also happening through facial expressions. The vocal inflections, the screen prompts, as well as other ways. At the same time, you may not be saying anything, but you're communicating with me. Your facial expressions, gestures, eye contact, or lack thereof. All are forms of communication even as you listen. Paul exhorts us about what we communicate and how we communicate in this text. We learn that connecting our life, Christ, to our living produces transformation in our communication. I want us to consider three areas of communication transformed by connecting our life with our living that Paul addresses in Colossians 4. Number one, consider your communication in prayer. Your communication in prayer. Prayer is the subject of a good part of this passage, is it not? There in verses 2 through 4, Paul challenges us in our prayer lives. It's not something he has failed to mention earlier. In fact, Earlier in Colossians, he shared his prayer for them. Colossians 1, that he gave thanks to God for their gains in Christ. 
as well as prayed for their growth in Christ. He desired that the believers at Colossae would know more of God so they could do more for God. Friends, never disconnect that truth. One of the purposes of you and I knowing more of God is so that we can do more for God. God wanted them, as Paul did, to have better knowledge so they could have better living. And Christian knowing should always lead to Christian living. And so as Paul even shared his prayer for them, he was identifying the reality that prayer crucially affected their lives. Someone was praying for them. But now here, Paul challenged them to pray for themselves as well as for him. He understood the importance of communication with God for the church and individual lives. And friends, this is so crucial that we really understand and get Prayer is an important aspect of your walk with Jesus Christ, and it is a crucial tool and resource of the church that we cannot and should not neglect. A group of young preachers once went together to visit Charles Spurgeon. Even now, he is often referred to as the Prince of Preachers. He built a great church with God's blessing in London, England. And as these young ministers came to meet with Charles Spurgeon and, and see this great church building and, and have him give them a personal tour through the building, uh, Spurgeon took them to the massive sanctuary, but then he said to these young ministers that he wanted to show them the boiler room. Well, those young ministers that were there visiting, they, they didn't really have any interest in seeing the boiler room, so they declined. They, they said to Spurgeon, no, thank you. We, we don't need to see the boiler room, but Spurgeon insisted. He led them to the basement of that building where they found nearly 100 people in prayer, even then. This... Spurgeon said with a smile, is my boiler room. Whenever Spurgeon was asked about the secret of his ministry, he always replied, my people pray for me. He was known to often say a prayerful church is a powerful church. In contrast, he also said neglect of private prayer is the locust that devours the strength of the church. He had a good perspective on this issue of prayer. Communicating with God in prayer in the way that Paul exhorts here crucially affects the life of the believer and the church. And Paul addresses what our prayers should consist of. Or be characterized by in this text. Would you notice four qualities that should characterize our prayer life? Number one, pray faithfully. 
Paul says in verse number two, continue in prayer. That word continue means to persist, to keep on with devotion. Further, it means to be earnest towards, to persevere, be constantly diligent, or attend assiduously all the exercises, or adhere closely to. And this is the word that Paul used here. It's very emphatic. Stay faithful, be diligent in, be persistent in prayer. One Bible scholar said, The ancient Greek word translated continue is built on a root meaning to be strong. It always denotes an earnest adherence to a person or thing. In this passage, it implies persistence and fervor. Think about it, friends, as you study the Word of God and find exhortation about prayer. You see exhortations from God's Word simply to pray, to pray often, to pray ceaselessly, to pray earnestly, to pray consistently and perseverantly, and we could go on. We are to be faithful to communicate with God in prayer. Secondly, Paul says to pray earnestly. Notice he says, and watch in the same. Same in prayer. It's an interesting thought because it's not something that we typically connect with prayer. We typically connect bowing our heads and closing our eyes and so on with prayer. But how many of you have had that experience where you're praying and you begin to drift off? Michael has. He raised his hand right away. You just begin to, to drift off. Your, your mind kind of loses focus. You begin to wander a little bit. Here Paul says, watch. Literally it means to keep awake. To watch. Most often in the New Testament when this word is used... It expresses a spiritual sense of watchfulness, a keen awareness and alertness. Paul is not necessarily uh, speaking against that, that experience we have from time to time where we might begin to drift off in sleep. But what Paul is doing is he's telling us, listen, when you go to prayer, when you come to that time of communicating with God, there should be a fervency about it. There should be an energy about it. There should be an awareness and an alertness of what it is that you are participating in when you pray. Think of it. Jesus himself used this same terminology often primarily related to two occasions his coming and temptation several times in in the gospels as jesus would speak of his coming he would tell his followers watch be sober watch and pray in relation to his coming then do you remember when he was in the garden of gethsemane he went to get alone with his father jesus what an example for us of praying earnestly he sweat as it were great drops of blood as he contended in spiritual warfare in prayer 
He told his disciples to do what? Watch and pray. Otherwise, what would they experience? Entering into temptation. Let me ask you a question. If when we went to prayer, we went to prayer with the perspective and the recognition Jesus is coming soon. We went to prayer with the recognition this activity of prayer is essential to the reality that I face temptation that is so deceptive. And if we went to that activity of prayer with the recognition that when we go into prayer, we are entering spiritual warfare in an even greater way, might it change our approach to prayer? The reality is that often when we go to prayer, we don't go prepared for battle, do we? Could you imagine if we went into an actual physical battle the way we sometimes enter the activity of prayer? Friends, prayer is war. Prayer is a fight. Prayer, prayer is a recognition that Jesus is coming soon. Prayer is the recognition that apart from this resource, I might and will face temptation's deception in greater ways. Might that change the way we approach prayer if we have that recognition? Paul emphasized the need for this attitude in prayer. And we should be earnest in our prayer. Thirdly, Paul says, pray thankfully. Pray thankfully. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. The word simply means gratitude. Using grateful language to God as an act of worship. Consider just through this book of Colossians all of the reasons we've seen for thankfulness to God. Let me just give you a few highlights. In Colossians 1.12, the Father has made us partakers of the inheritance of the saints. I mean, we are actually made inheritors with Jesus Christ. What a joy. What a blessing. What a privilege. In Colossians 2.7, we are rooted and built up in Christ. In Colossians 3.15, the peace of God can rule our hearts. In Colossians 3.17, simply the truth of the Lord Jesus. He tells us to give thanks to God the Father by Him. Friends, we have so much to be thankful for, truly appreciating what Christ has done for us, who the Father has made us in Christ, and what he provides for us inevitably produces thanksgiving. When we pray, we should pray with thanksgiving. Fourthly, I want you to see this, we should pray intercedingly. What does it mean to pray intercedingly? If I could say it this way, praying intercedingly means it's not all about us. When we pray, our prayer does not consist of just requests related to us, but we pray for others. Paul included in his command praying for himself and others engaged in ministry. Notice he says in verse 3, with all praying also for us. 
not just himself, but for us. Who's the us? It's Paul and those who are engaged in ministry with him. Uh, Paul mentioned his bonds. I want you to remember that Paul wrote this epistle from prison. And this itself is powerfully applicable to our lives. You think Paul is writing from prison. He tells them, remember my bonds. So what might you expect Paul to say? Hey, pray this way for me. Put yourself in that situation. If you were imprisoned and in bonds, what might you write to someone else and say, hey, pray for me? That I get out. Pray that, I, that these bonds get taken off. Pray, pray that, that my appeal to Caesar goes through and Caesar releases me and gives me freedom to, to go about doing the work that God's called me to do. Pray for my freedom. Kind of like when we're in the midst of a trial or a difficulty and we pray for and we ask others to pray for. Hey, pray that God would get this out of my life. Pray that this trial would, would end, that God would just deliver me out of it. But is that what Paul said here? What did he say? Pray for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. Paul didn't ask for the prison door to be opened. He asked for a door for the gospel to be opened. As Paul sat in prison, he didn't seek freedom from prison, but faithfulness in ministry. Oh, that we might pray that way for one another. Oh, that we might have the attitude when we're in a difficulty, when we're walking through a trial. Not that God would just rapture us out of that difficulty or trial, but that God would use it to open a door for the gospel to get into somebody's life who needs it. That God would use it and strengthen us not to take us out of it, not for freedom from it, but for faithfulness through it. Paul desired that the doors of the gospel message would go out through his life even as he sat in prison. What a challenge for us. Pray for your pastor. But do not pray for comfort in this life, a good reward for his labor, or even good health. Pray for the doors of the gospel to be opened. And by the way, let our prayers be more characterized by these kinds of requests than they typically are. Now I want to be clear. God cares about everything you care about. And God invites us to bring every burden and care of our heart to him. There is no prayer request. If it matters to you, it matters to God. And I'm thankful for that. But friends, if we were sincere and honest about our prayer lives, I think we would all have to admit that too often our prayer lives are wrapped up with all of those concerns and cares of our hearts in this life and less about, God, do whatever you need to to make me more like Jesus. God, do whatever you need to do in my life to put me in a situation or in situations where the gospel can shine brighter through my life. 
God, whatever the, the challenge or the difficulty of my life is, use it in my life to make me more like you. Don't necessarily free me from it until you're ready to do so, but instead, as I walk through that, make me faithful to you. Paul speaks to us about our communication in prayer, and what a challenge it is. Notice, secondly, this evening, not only your communication in prayer, how about your communication in behavior? Look at verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. We already made clear, didn't we, that communication is not just about what is said. What is said is important, but often... What we do communicates even in greater ways than what we say. You've heard this said before, and it's true. Your talk talks, and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Another a uh, person who is a, a Christian therapist in similar tones wrote, after all is said and done, it's what's done and not what is said that's important. Wow. That is so true. Paul here speaks to us in those terms about how we communicate in our behavior in what we do and this is what he challenges us with number one walk in wisdom and he specifically ties it to those who are without now what does that phrase mean in the new testament those who are outside of christ if paul speaks about those who are inside he, he's not talking about this specific church building he's talking about inside christ inside his universal body inside the family of god those who are without are those who are outside of jesus christ and paul as he speaks about this idea of walking in wisdom communicating in behavior what he's challenging us with here is maintaining a good testimony understanding that action communicates sometimes in even greater ways than words do notice how paul speaks of this if you would at the end of the epistle to the romans i want you to see this romans chapter number 16 and listen or follow along as we read what Paul writes in verses 17 through 20 of Romans 16. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such, who is he talking about? Those who cause division and offense contrary to the doctrine. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience is come abroad unto all men. 
I am glad therefore on your behalf, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. How's this connect to this idea of communicating in behavior and in this idea of walking in wisdom? I want you to pay attention to the progression here. Paul exhorts these believers and us to watch out for those who cause division and offense that is contrary to the doctrine of Jesus. So if I can say it simply this way, Paul tells us to watch out for false teachers. And then speaking about the false teachers, Paul says this, they do not serve the Lord, but they use something to their advantage. What do they use to their advantage? Verse number 18 there. Good words and fair speeches. They're not serving the Lord, but they use the spoken word to their advantage, and their spoken word deceives some. But then in verse number 19, those believers who were not deceived by the false teachers and were faithful to the Lord... What does Paul say about them? Their what? Obedience is come abroad unto all men. What is Paul saying? Their actions, their behavior communicated, right? Others could see their obedience, their faithfulness to Christ. Others could see that activity of their life, and it spoke to them. You see, communication isn't just about what you say. Words are important. But Paul here addresses the behavior, walk in wisdom. And then he says, redeem the time. Friends, do you understand that your use of time communicates a great deal about your life? Your use of time. The word Paul used here in Colossians 4, redeem the time, is the same word he used twice in the book of Galatians to identify what Christ did for us. Galatians 3.13, where he says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And then in Galatians 4.5, where he spoke of the seed of the woman that God sent in the fullness of time, who redeemed them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of some. Same word he uses in Colossians 4 when he tells us to redeem the time. There's this connection he, he makes between the redemption that is in Christ and our responsibility to redeem the time. In other words, Christ gave himself to redeem us. In recognition of that, we should redeem the time. In this context, it identifies making the use, good use, of the opportunities one has. And so think about it this way. If Christ redeemed himself for us, if he gave himself for us, what should redeeming the time look like in the believer's life? Redeeming the time identifies the attitude and activity of the believer who makes use of the opportunities he receives to live for Christ. That's what it's all about. 
Time is a gift of God. And we should use the time that God gives us to live for Christ. Especially when we're placed in a situation where we have the opportunity to do good for Christ. We should make use of that opportunity. Have you ever been in a situation where you knew you had the opportunity to do something good for Christ and you just didn't? You missed it. You had an opportunity to speak a word for him and you did not. You had an opportunity to make a difference and you did not. Make use of the time that God has given you for his sake. And then thirdly, and we'll wrap up quickly, your communication and conversation. Okay, so words are important too, aren't they? What's Paul say in verse number six? Let your what? Speech. So here's now the communication in spoken word. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Are words important? Behavior is important, but so are words. We could go to so many places in the scripture to identify this, but let me give you just one verse. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Do you understand tonight that you with your words can speak death or speak life into someone else? That puts a lot of weight of responsibility on our words, doesn't it? When you speak to your spouse, when you speak to your mom, your dad, when you speak to your children, your grandchildren, when you speak to your neighbor, when you speak to the coworker, when you speak uh, to the, the person just at the store, in the restaurant, wherever it may be, as you are speaking, communicating by the spoken word, one of two things is true. You are either speaking death or you are speaking life into somebody else. Your words are important. Paul emphasizes two important qualities of with our words. Number one, always with grace. This connotes both God's grace as well as just the idea of human graciousness to one another. And the second quality is seasoned with salt. Think about salt. Salt seasons and flavors. The idea of the word here is actually that which is winsome and wise in our communication through the spoken word. And both these thoughts, always with grace, seasoned with salt, are connected back in verse number five to those who are without, because at the end of verse six, Paul says that we may know how we ought to answer every man. All of our communication our words should be with grace, seasoned with salt. Unfortunately, we tend to turn it around a little bit, don't we? There are times when we tend to be always salt, salty, seasoned with grace. But that's not what he says here. Always with grace, 
seasoned with salt. Always with grace and seasoned with salt should characterize our conversation, the use of words in communicating with others. That means we can make some application very simply from the word of God. If it's always with grace, seasoned with salt, that means we're not swearing, we're not deceiving, we're not double talking, we're not misleading, we're not gossiping, we're not demeaning others. Instead, our conversation should be characterized by, by that which builds up, speaks truth, gives life, provides comfort, expresses encouragement. And that should always be true of our communication through the spoken word. Paul encourages us, connect your life, Christ, with your living through how you communicate in prayer, in behavior, in conversation, Making that connection produces transformation in your communication. When you connect your life with your living, your communication will be transformed in prayer, in behavior, and in conversation. Are you experiencing that transformation? Are you speaking life instead of speaking death, building up rather than tearing down, speaking truth rather than lie? Encouraging rather than discouraging. To Colossians 3, 1 through 4, there you'll find again that truth that we're to set our on things above, to, to seek those things which are above. If we do that and determine to connect Christ with our living, then we must yield all of our communication to him. And so, believer, connect your life and living in this area of communication. Consider your prayer life. Consider your behavior. Consider your conversation. Is Christ, who is your life, shining through in all of it? He should. Heavenly Father, thank you for the challenge about our communication from the pen of Paul. I ask that you would help us to reflect in these areas of our lives connecting Jesus with that area of our living. Lord, help us to be obedient. Help us to be submissive to you. And we'll be sure to praise you for it in Christ's name.